Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. Hi, my friends who listen, and I love that you listen to Future Primitive. I'm on the phone with Meg Beeler. Meg Beeler, M.A., is a shamanic guide, expert who expertly weaves her energy alchemy and shamanic meditation to guide seekers into joyful connection, soul healing, and luminous presence. She is the author of Living in the Heart of the Universe, Expanding Your Relationship with the Earth and the Cosmos, a lifelong explorer of wholeness and consciousness, Meg has traveled the world in search of traditional and shamanic wisdom. She's been to the high mountains of the Andes and Himalayas, the savannas of Africa, and the jungles of the Amazon. She is the founder of Earth Caretakers, dedicated to bringing to life our collective dream of a more beautiful world. She lives and teaches on Sonoma Mountain in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome again, Meg. We've... Thank you, Joanna. It's wonderful to be on with you. Okay, good. And uh, I have in my hand your book, Living in the Heart of the Universe, Expanding Your Relationship with Earth and the Cosmos. So, Meg, what is energy alchemy, TM? <laughs> the TM is recent. I've used the term for a long time. <laughs> um, energy alchemy is a, is a way of that that really comes from um, a lot of indigenous wisdom, particularly the Caro of the Andes, but also uh, Qigong and uh, and even some some. Celtic practices, anyway, it's, it's a way of um, moving your energy from one state to another and managing your energy and using energy as a way to, to make change instead of, uh, instead of working with the mind. Uh, what I mean by that is um, people often come to me and say, you know, I've seen a therapist for years and I don't feel any better. Well... In the, in the ancient world, our relationship with everything was, was taken to be normal and a part of things, but in our modern world, we're so cut off, and we think that everything gets solved through the mind, but it doesn't, you know. For example, um, trauma goes to the limbic brain, and talking doesn't solve trauma because the limbic brain is preverbal. Um, so when I was going to the Andes over a period of 20 years and seeing the joyfulness that people had and the engagement they had with their world, no matter how destitute it was in, you know, in kind of our traditional terms, I got really curious about why, how and why people could be so joyful. So I really started studying, and energy alchemy emerged out of that. It's like my translation of all these ways of perceiving um, the world to help us um, move and shift so we can be more fluid because uh, if we're not fluid in life, we get very stuck and unhappy. Yes, the image comes to my, um, to my heart and mind of uh, being in Peru, hiking in Peru, and 
the faces of the people just really beaming with joy. So, yeah. I had, you know, I had never been around people who were like that in my whole life, and I'd already traveled a lot. Have you seen that other places? Yes, I've I've seen that in Asia, in um, some places in Indonesia. Um, Of course, Ecuador. Yeah, I can't think right now of other places... And that really prompts the question, what is your observation on how a lot of people in this culture, in the Occidental culture, have um, have lost that, that, the word that comes is primordial joy? Well, you know, there's a, it's nobody's fault, there's a really cultural historical basis because 400 years ago, uh, science and spirit were, were consciously split apart and became two distinct trains of thought. So if you were in the science mode and you were encouraged to use your mind, uh, part of that was to become more and more cut off from the world around you um, in, a, in a natural way. I, I looked up the term naturalist while I was writing the book. Mm-hmm. And they don't, what you and I understand as a naturalist, somebody who observes the natural world, that's not even in the definition anymore. It's become a scientific thing. Uh-huh. So it's not, we're not even allowed in the dictionary to observe the natural world. Um, so, so anyway, that having our spirit cut off from everything alive is, is disastrous. We become... You know, there's some great beauty in the individualism that has developed in Western Occidental culture, and uh, there's this huge cost that when we think that everything is up to us and we're not connected with our community, with our natural surroundings, with our world, we get into this really isolated place, and, and it causes a lot of despair. So uh, the part of my observation about the joylessness is that we really lost that in this process of being disconnected. You know, there's all these books written about nature deficit disorder, and they don't especially talk about the, uh, the joylessness, but, you know, it's endemic. Kids don't grow up playing in creeks anymore. They don't even, they're not even allowed to ride their bicycles by themselves anymore. Right, right. So what is, I was looking out the window now and I'm, I'm seeing these pinyon trees wave in the wind and this brilliant sky. And I can remember the very moment when I was on an island in Greece where the veil, the veil of civilization was removed from my eyes and then I saw out in a much more sensual way. So, in a way, I see your book, Living in the Heart of the Universe, as giving us ideas about exercises and ways in which we we can remove that veil. Would you speak Absolutely. about that? And one of the things that I've, become aware of actually since I wrote the book, after I wrote the book, is that there's a particular um, combining of the physical, you, you know, you're looking at the pinion tree, you're experiencing civilization uh, drops away in, in Greece, uh, the hike you took over the weekend, those physical sensory experiences combined with the spiritual heart-opening experiences of being connected that are a part and parcel of all of those practices in the book. And I think that that's part of why they're so, at least that's why they're so powerful for me, because when I first, you know, I learned Vipassana meditation 40 years ago, mm-hmm. and I really loved meditating, but after a while... Uh, 
I hate to say this, but it wasn't going any place for me, so I kind of fell away from it. But I, I have come back to meditation in a much different way, in a much more open and fluid way, so that um, I don't, so that these meditations in the book are what I use myself to connect. So, for example, when I think about the universe, the heart of the universe, um, I visualize images that I've seen from uh, of the stars and the galaxies and the multiverses, and I vis- I take what I know of the, the movement of energy, the fantastic star formation energy and the destruction and the black holes. I take all of that awareness, and it, it comes into the meditation. It weaves into it, so it makes it much more vivid. And it makes it much much less intellectual or or mental. Mm. Uh, I was just doing some qigong before we got on the phone, and um, I have this one practice where I um, connect uh, myself with the qi of the whole world. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I use visualizations of places I've been, and I go further and further and further away, and it's very vivid. And I think it's, you know, it's very powerful for the students I've taught. Um, So I feel pretty impassioned about sharing it with people. You sort of anticipated the next question I was going to ask you, which is, in terms of chicken and the egg, what comes first? The connection, restoring the connection to the tree and, and the earth and and the river, or the spiritual connection. I think it's different for different people, and it doesn't matter which comes first. Um, And they're not... uh, They become less distinct for me over time. I don't don't know if I can explain that. Well, that's very... That's... That's, I'm very curious about this because as soon as I'd said that, I wanted to ask you, what is a spiritual connection? And why does well, it feel that those are the words that uh, we want to use? You know, as a shamanic practitioner, uh, I do what, uh, I, I see through the heart. There's two terms that, are used in shamanic cultures, seeing in the dark and seeing with the heart. Mm -hmm. Both of them describe a stepping beyond the visible form that we see in our room or in our yard into the mystery. Mm -hmm. And the heart is is a way of address, you know, touching the mystery. So, um... So a lot of people really love trees. There's a group called Tree Sisters that's all over the world. Um, And what I've noticed about uh, tree lovers, and this is is true of the whole culture, we love something, so we start to protect it, we talk about it, we look at pictures of it. But the direct connection, what I would call the spiritual connection, is not something that we necessarily feed a lot. And my husband always teases me when we're on walks and says, you have to touch every tree we go by. And I say yes, even though it's not true. Right. right. Um, There's, you know, I touch the tree physically and that touch, it's just like touching a baby, that touch reminds you of all the love you feel. So taking the the physical into the spiritual in uh, in the Andes, the, you know, the, the connections are just there. People don't really talk about them or have direct practices. Sure. But, but my teacher, Americo, and, and, and I later took the relationship and put it into ways that you could experience it. So you want to connect with the tree. So you go up to the tree and you ask permission. And then... Um, I like to blow into the tree to kind of greet it. And then you turn and put your back to the tree and just open and receive what the tree has to offer 
for not very long and then change and let the tree take whatever energy from you it needs that day. And it's just, this, I don't have any other word for that besides the spiritual connection. Because you feel it in your body, you experience it, but it's something different than uh, thinking about the sap flowing up and down the tree or you know, all the information we have about it. That's why the subtitle of your book is Expanding Your Relationship. So Right. I mean, we all... I, I believe that everybody has some sort of a relationship. Um, so it wasn't... You know, I played with different, different words for that title, but expanding felt like the most appropriate. You start from where you are and you expand from there. So if you live in the city and you've got weeds in the crack of your sidewalk and that's all you have, there's no trees, um, you can make a relationship with those weeds. And it's, you know, it's like all the great spiritual traditions teach different ways of um, of opening your heart and being present with everything. And what I'm writing about is is a different way of doing that than something we're necessarily used to, but uh, with similar principles. You know, before you called, I was, I don't know why I thought of this, but I was thinking many years ago, I worked with Joanna Macy in, in, in doing her despair and empowerment work, and it was mm-hmm. in the time of, I was doing a lot of anti-nuclear activism, yes. and I was just in despair all the time, because I thought that's how, I, I thought the despair, I think the despair fueled the activism. But what Joanna said and taught us was that you have to, you have to totally open to the despair and just be present with it. It's not good or bad. Despair is an energy like everything else. And when you, when you can really open your heart to, this is basic Buddhist practice, right? When you open your heart to whatever is in front of you, fully, and just be with it, not judging, not trying to get rid of it, not trying to embrace it, just being with it, Um, everything changes. And that's the kind of quality, that presence is the kind of quality I really believe we need in the world right now. Um, I'm just going to tell you a story. Yes. The other night, my shamanic journey group met, and one of the women said she was really having trouble staying in balance and having equanimity. So we did a journey to the, the um, to one of our teachers to get advice on having equanimity. And um, all the images that I was, was shown in the journey had to do with embracing the whole. Uh, the wind, you know, the, the hurricane was about to arrive, so the the fierce winds and the gentle breezes are both part are both a part of equanimity, um, and and it just went on like that, and it just reminded me the importance of being with the whole, and that's what we're talking about with spirit. I think when we talk about the physical, practical, we're we're talking about what's right, you know, what's right in front of our nose, the email I have to write, or the dishes I have to do, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dinner I have to cook, but the spirit is uh, embracing it all. And and union is, you know, at the root of every spiritual tradition, and it's it's a state that that I really love when I can be in union with a person, with the world, with whatever. And I wanted I wanted to give people tools to to reach that, you know, to Do you think that equanimity fosters union? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I was also thinking of passion when you spoke about the hurricane, and uh, I was thinking uh, how um, how both fascinating and disagreeable passion is. Mm. 
both things at the same time and thinking about being bleached. I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just imagining with you because it's such a pleasure to be able to do that together. Right, and that's the passion is a good example of that. Uh, it, years ago, I don't you know I don't think I'm so brilliant for figuring this out, but I had my share of unhappy relationships, and I, I don't know. I was in my thirties, and it dawned on me that this notion of being in love was way overrated because when you're in love, in quotes, you give up yourself, you get all, into all kinds of attachments and wanting, and you're totally imbalanced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it struck me that there must be some other way of having a good relationship besides that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that, that's what I think of with, with the passion, you know. Or being in um, love with one person puts blinders on you from being in love with everything. Right. So I'm thinking about this question of this equanimity foster union, and our Buddhist teachers would... Would say yes. Well, they say yes and no. If you <laughs> the union, uh, you're, you're losing your equanimity. But if you're in oh. a state of equanimity, being present with everything, uh, whatever arises would be fine. So, yeah. It can foster or not foster depending on uh, where we take it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's the mind. It, it jumps. For yeah. a moment you're in equanimity and then the next moment you're, judging. you're like trying to slurp up the union. <laughs> next moment you're judging. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm picking a chapter like that, like a tarot card. Chapter 14, Reciprocity. The Holy Stone of Siberia. Women of the Melonarca, Peru. And also oh, interesting, Reciprocity in our money economy. Would you speak to us about these things? Absolutely. You know, reciprocity is at the root of uh, the Andean cosmovision, mm-hmm. and at the root, really, of most indigenous cultures. A different word might be used. And um, it's different than the give and take that we have in Western Occidental culture. Reciprocity means... Um, offering something, giving something, really without attachment to what you're going to get back. And it's the, the, the ways that it pervades Andean culture are really amazing. Um, like the story of the women in Muy Marca who, who gave half of the money we raised for them for their leaving house to the men to keep the balance. Um, and, and it was so shocking to me that, you know, here we were trying to, from a feminist perspective, we were trying to give the women a a space of their own, which the men already had, but they chose to not build the whole house and give some of the money so that they wouldn't foster envy and greed and, and cause disruption. And that is such an interesting way of, of living. Um, but was but, but was the sorry to interrupt you, but I just was curious was the relationship they have with the men a, a harmonious relationship? Yes, and and the in the in the in the villages that haven't been uh, severely impacted by Christianity and, and Western stuff in the high mountains, uh-huh. the reciprocity is built into the whole culture. So, for example, for a festival. Uh, there, there's two. Um, they, there would be two groups in the village, and belong to one, and I belong to the other. So this year, I'm the head of the festival, and you have certain assisting tasks. The next year, you're the head of the festival, and I have the assisting tasks. So that built-in balancing, so nobody gets gets power over, 
is just endemic throughout the culture. I mean, there's a zillion examples of that that I could give. But it's, and on a more interesting spiritual level, when somebody who has some power meets another person who has, means spiritual power, energetic power, meets another person who seems to have power, there's a dance. There's three words that in Quechua that describe the stages of this dance and interaction. And one of the pieces is that, that one of the people with some power will offer to share what they have with the other person. Mm-hmm. And the other person can accept it or not. And if they don't accept it, then the person who offered just kind of walks um, because they're not going to engage on an equal level. But even the concept of offering to share what you have freely is, you know, kind of foreign to most of us. <laughs> can you give an example? Well, in the in the world of business that I've had to dabble into for because of book promotion, um, there's a there's a pattern of I'll give you something and and I get your email in exchange. So so that's a give and take kind of thing. Um, a different a, a way of reciprocity would be, um, you know, I'm talking to you on the phone, so I volunteer, you know three practices that might be useful to you uh, just because of what you say about your life. And, and, you know, I just give them to you, and if you don't use them, that's fine, and if you do use them, that's fine. But it's a, uh, I don't know if that's a good enough example, but it's, it's a way of interacting where I'm not worried about what I'm going to get back. I'm more concerned with being in relationships. So the, the reciprocity that we do with our, the tree in our yard, you know, we take care of it. We might prune it. We might feed it if it's a little young tree. We might water it. Um, and we don't really expect the tree to do anything for it. Right. Uh, we have, you know, we plant a garden and we hope that our tomatoes grow, but, but we don't have strong expectations that a certain amount of produce happens, or I hope we don't. So there's some things we do naturally that are reciprocal, you know, without even thinking about it. Or we, when we take care of our babies, we just take care of them. We're not expecting them to give us something back. Right, right. So I think I think the, the joy of reciprocity is uh, it keeps you out of greed and wanting and attachment and a lot of things that... that a lot of feelings that aren't very healthy for us. And it keeps you more in the flow. And being in the flow internally for me and in, in, with the people around me and the beings around me really contributes to my joy. You know, I go and it, it, when I can, I eat lunch on the porch and I watch the birds going into the water and and I, I, every day I'm smiling when they're taking baths and jumping around. I mean, it's just so wonderful. So I'm happy to give them that water. You know, I, I get a nice view, but it, um, it engages me. And it takes me out of my small mind. You know, my own little worries and what I have to do today and all that. Joy. Let's return to joy. That was yes. a, that's such a good one. How do you notice that people in our very busy world that come to you uh, or when you go around, how do you, what, how do you notice that people express joy? What gives people joy? very much in their own story and their own suffering it's pretty hard for them to be joyful or express joy the people who are wait say the question again expressions of joy 
How do you see joy being expressed in the world around you, whether it's the people who come to you for um, for healing or just simply when you go, you're going around? Well, it kind of, it's a complicated question, but it, it kind of comes back to, to open-heartedness. You know, I ran into a friend of mine in the gym who has Alzheimer's, and she and she and I always hug. Well, this day we happened to hug for a really long time, and, like, the world dropped away. I don't know how long we were standing mm-hmm. there, but it's not what people usually do in the gym. <laughs> um, and there was, we were both totally present in that moment. And even though what I felt from her was just this wave of grief because she recently took a downturn, um, there she was, giving and receiving this wonderful hug. Mm. Um, I noticed in my, it, it's hard, you know, it's hard, e- easier to think of myself with joy because I'm always watching that. There's times when I'm loose and laughing and then I'll be driving and realize my face is all puckered up and I'm concentrating. I mean, I do that when I'm thinking. Mm. But but I'll just kind of open my eyes, look around me and smile and then everything shifts. So there's a consciousness in it. It's not easy to be joyful in our culture. At least it's not easy for me. Um, but I, uh, this is getting a little, I'm thinking back to Peru. You know, we'd be sitting on the ground and all the women would be spinning because they spin all day long, you know, because they have to weave all their clothes, so you just keep busy. And the kids would be playing or crying or whatever, but there was just this amazing flow of, of laughter and peace. Um, and I think that comes partly from not wanting anything, just being present. You know, I think of Suzuki Roshi, whom I never met, but I look at his photograph on Beginner's Mind, and his eyes are like deep wells of acceptance and grace. Um, and I think that gets back to what we call presence. I'm thinking of one one client though, um, who's really she she has a lovely quality of appreciating other people, and when she's doing that, she just radiates. Even if she, you know, her mother just dies and various things happen, she's kind of internally suffering. But when she gets into that state of uh, appreciating and acknowledging other people. She's like a shining light. And that's that's a kind of joy. And then I, I'm thinking of, the, you know, we have bluebirds around, and, and uh, the two adult bluebirds were teaching the baby bluebird to, to take a bath in the water. And the baby bluebird kept sitting on the, on the edge and hopping around and Finally, it would take a drink, but it took it like five minutes to get in the water. And then it jumped right out, and then it jumped in again. And the longer it was in, the more it was just like splashing around. And that kind of joyfulness just amazes me. I wish I could be like that all the time. Well, that's a great uh, great word that you brought up, radiant, radiance. I mean, just by... Just by saying that word, uh, we might reach people and wake up that quality, mm. radiance. I, I learned a, a practice from Sandra Ehrman years ago called transfiguration, where you basically, if we could do it right now. Let's do it right in, now. Let's you, do it. You go into your heart. And I start by visualizing a little tiny light, a shining light. And I just concentrate on that light and let it get bigger and bigger, filling my heart and just watch it and let it come out of me until my whole being is just being this light. 
deviance.
before you open your eyes and come back to this version of reality, just let all your cells feel how wonderful it is to be in that state, to be in that state of radiance and connection and presence. And know that it's as simple as what we just did to access that state. You know that the more you do that for yourself, the more your perception of what's important in the world changes. consciousness of your own interconnection in the web of life becomes vivid and real and tangible. And that, those connections in the web of life, those tangible connections, are what really feed and fuel our ability to make change in our own life and on the planet. joyful radiance that lets us slough off the the anger, for example, or or any of the, the dense energies. in the world who are trying to run the country as just self-centered people. And I, I really believe, Joanna, that, that this feeling of, of inner radiance and connection is what will allow us trajectory of the world, of the planet, into one that's life-sustaining for everyone. Joyful Radiance We have it. We are it. Sort of like um, reaching the water that is deep, deep, deep down in the well, in the aquifer. Before we trouble ourselves so much that the joyful radiance would be dried up. To remind people out there that joyful radiance is there. It's right there. You just have to throw the bucket in. (laughs) And then hear the splash. I'm now smiling from ear to ear. Definitely. I'm uh, having this image of um, of a listener who's a painter and takes a moment to put her brushes down mm. and feels her radiance and and then splashes wild paint onto the canvas. 
<laughs> Salka. Can you talk to us about Salka? Americana Bar uses that word to to describe the wild, undomesticated image that's in everything. Uh, we, we were just in a Salka state, that state of radiance where even though we're in an interview and we're supposed to be talking, we're not talking because we're in that state of radiance. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a, a feeling... Well, often when you when you travel and you're you know hiking the trails in Peru or or riding a boat in the Amazon, sopping wet because of the humidity, there's there's a similar kind of joyfulness on people's faces because they've shed everything that doesn't matter um, and they're just present. So so that's the Salka state, and I, I always love this. Story. There was a there was a peasant woman in the Andes who had mm-hmm. one pig, and that was Nick her main wealth. And one day, a, a puma, a mountain lion, came and grabbed the leg of the pig and started trying to drag it away. And the pig squealed, and the woman ran. And she grabbed another leg of the pig, and and the mountain lion and the woman pulled on the pig back and forth, back and forth, and neither of them would let go. They were totally in this wild, crazy moment, I mean, if you thought about it, you would not be fighting a mountain lion for a pig such. Right. <laughs> um, it was important, so she held on, and the mountain lion finally went away. Um, it, anyway, that's that's a partly a description of the, the state where you just, uh, you just are. Um, and I find that in, I mean, I find that I get into a Salka state when I'm teaching uh-huh. or, or doing a lot of shamanic journeying so that I'm, I'm so in um, the present moment and flowing with whatever images and, and lessons and stuff are happening that um, I'm like a river. So uh, that fluidity, that dance of, Dancing with the universe and and being in the flow of everything is the Salka state. And it's not some, you know it's not like a goal, but it's more an experience of your existence that you get into. I remembered that when I used to get drunk decades ago, it was because I wanted to reconnect everything. Everything felt so heavy, and I just wanted to reconnect with that absolute wildness. So I'd get very drunk, and I'd cook chicken soup and dance all night. (laughs) (laughs) But there are other ways to do this, and they're described in your book. Many other ways to do this than getting drunk. I'm still in a state of wonder about the possibilities for connecting with the heart of the universe. Uh, I mean, I just, I love thinking about uh, the, the energy of, of the, and, the, and the mystery of, of black holes and, and energy being sucked in and seeming to go nowhere, but then things coming out somehow and being formed and mm.
commitment and practice. And and I would say it's kind of boring, but the topic of how do you get a regular practice in your life is a problem for everybody, no matter how realized they are. And and uh, it's it's the essential piece of shifting your energy. You know, if I go and connect with the tree once a month, I feel good. But if I go and connect with the tree every day, uh, there's a change in my heart. There's a the trajectory of my life changing. Or whatever it is. Whatever practice you do. Your yoga, your qigong, whatever. Um, and so, working with energy, coming back to, to, to our energy... You know, I was prompted to really get into my practice by my own suffering and despair. I was desperate. And the desperation was what fueled me to see, okay, how am I going to get through every day? And uh, and I think that's often the, the source, if we can just kind of bumble along and nothing's too bad, uh, we can ignore all our practices, but... If we just hit the wall, then that's that's when it's time to to get on it. And and so I, I want to talk a little bit about how how I incorporate this stuff. Yes, because uh, I think it's useful. Very. One nice. thing is, you know, I'm sitting at my desk and I'll get up and go um, go outside and do ten minutes of qigong. And qigong for me involves visualization and, and a kind of shamanic meditation as well as just the physical movement. When I wake up in the middle of the night, um, I'll do the Earth Cosmos meditation that's in Chapter 8. Um, and it's, it's a powerful way for me to connect with places I love. Um, and, you know, you start by connecting with the Earth and the cosmos. So you sort of you energetically become a tree of life. And then you send your heart energy to places you love, and you take all the, all the practical experiences you've had, like I grew up on uh, next to Mount Diablo in Northern California, and so I have many, many images of this mountain from my whole life. So when I'm connecting with Mount Diablo, I'll see uh, the, the rocks that I like to sit at. I'll see the wildflower in a particular place along the walk, that, uh, the globe lilies that, that grow um, only at a certain time of year. Uh, I'll see the moment when I was circumnavulating the mountain, and a butterfly landed on my hand and stayed for an hour. There were two butterflies that were mating, and they just hung out on my hand until I got tired of carrying them and handed them to my partner. <laughs> you know, all those kind of images make so vivid the connection that I have with the mountain. And I'll do that in the middle of the night until I fall asleep or I don't fall asleep, but either way, I'm, I'm shifting my energy from frustration and, oh, I'm going to be tired tomorrow and the yada yadas that we do in the middle of the night into something that uh, is pleasurable, relaxes me, nurtures me, and makes me feel connected. So uh, that's the, the... And so the embedding any practice that you like, whatever it is, embedding it in yourself enough so that you can draw on it in, in a time of need is really crucial. You know, so so some of these energy practices of releasing heaviness. Uh, you know, you can be in the store and somebody loses it and starts scre- screaming at a clerk. Mm-hmm. And if you have this practice embedded of, of releasing the density so that you don't take any in, you just stand there and do that and fill with some lighter energy so that those other people's density doesn't affect you. Or if you, you know, are filled with grief, you can do the, the, the most simple eating heavy energy practice to release the heaviness of the grief. You know, it's just energy. It's not, it's not, it's an illusion. It's not real. It's, it's a feeling we have, but, but because it's, it's an energetic feeling, we can give that grief to the wind and draw in fresh air. Give that grief to the wind 
ten times a day, all the time you, you have whatever grief-producing thing is, it's not that it goes away, but, but your relationship to it changes so that you're not holding it in the same way. And eventually, you start realizing that you are lighter, even at first, a second at first, and then a minute, um, but that you're not carrying that anymore. And so it, it makes life a lot better to be able to do these practices. Give your grief to the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the earth, or the fire, or the water, any of them. Because, you know, when you're working with energy, there's no positive or negative, there's no judgment. It's just energy. Meg, we've uh, come to the end of this particular conversation. And... Um, Perhaps you'd like to um, say a few words in closing. Hmm. Well, first of all, Joanna, I'm I'm grateful for to you for holding the space for so much uh, conversation about consciousness and how do we live a good life and. How do we create beauty? Because you're you're a wonderful interviewer, and you allow so many of us who have our passions to come and express them to each other. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, and I guess the other thing is that uh, you know, being in this conversation with you today, it's it's so fun for me because. I'm doing this stuff while we're talking. It's it's very real and tangible to me. And so I feel all excited, happy, joyful, and radiant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and um, and I feel now better able to go out and keep creating this beautiful world that we want for all of us, this beautiful, sustainable world where people have enough and people can can reconnect with each other and with all the living beings around us. Um, And I know I'm an idealist, but when I am in this state, I know that it's possible. And so I want that for every listener. Uh, and every being. And I just feel great gratitude for the gorgeous earth we live on and our oak trees changing and your juniper trees waving in the wind and all of our migrating birds and the aquifers that are running under our feet feeding us. And that the universe upon universe connected with these energetic filaments farther than we can ever imagine. Thank you so much, Meg Beeler. It's um, it's definitely been a, a joy-filled radiance to be with you. <laughs> oh, well, ditto, Joanna. Thank you so much.